everybody and welcome to another edition of the Winging It Formula One podcast. I'm Freddie Coates. I'm going to be one of your hosts today, um, along with the indomitable Nigel Chu, who is my co-host. No um, third party today. Um, our usual trio of Nigel and Freddie and Adam is unable to happen because Adam is gallivanting around America. Absolutely fantastic. He's traveling to every city you can possibly name in the States. It looks brilliant. Um, before he's back in the UK in a few weeks' time and we can then stop having to um, lose him on these podcasts. Um, but let's get straight to it, Nigel. Uh, how, how, how did you find the Spanish Grand Prix? I thought it was really good. I thought it was all right, yeah. Uh, probably third best race, second or third best race of the season so far, I think. I think it had a lot of hype building up to it. You know, the long run down to turn one. And we were all expecting another Leclerc versus the Stafford battle, but instead we just got loads of drama, loads of chaos, uh, especially in the middle of the race. And yeah, I thought it was a fantastic race, really. So, uh, and obviously it's a massive moment in the championship as well. Yes, it was a massive moment for the championship. It felt like a, a sort of old school race where you had drivers spinning, you had drivers breaking down in, from the lead. That's something we don't really, I want to say, have the luxury of seeing these days because they're all so good usually these days, so metronomic, so reliable. And you think back to 20 years ago and you just have gaps that were 20 seconds from 10 laps. Whereas, um, so which made Leclerc's gap that he had at the start and then to retire from it feel insane but of course that's where Max Verstappen came through to take victory a second Spanish Grand Prix victory he didn't make it wasn't made easy for him and he didn't make it easy for himself but in the end yeah a completely deserved victory what did you make of Max Max's weekend there Nigel yeah I think he did sound rattled on the radio but ultimately I think what we saw, especially when he was fighting George Russell in the middle of the race, I think he did really well to stay composed in terms of his driving. Perhaps not what he was saying on the radio, but he didn't you know, do a silly dive bomb or do anything erratic. He was patient. And instead, it was Russell who was you know, quite aggressive, which is great to see. So I think perhaps a younger Verstappen may have got annoyed or frustrated or too frustrated at the situation but would have done something silly or made another mistake after his uh, strange off at turn four because of the wind he said uh, but yeah instead he did he was patient uh, he did have a DRS problem and he managed to make the undercut work he was the first driver to fully commit to a free stop strategy and I think that call was the golden call because he optimised the stint lengths he kind of forced everyone else to was follow his strategy and because he was the first one to commit to it, it Mercedes were kind of outfoxed in that way. And mm. Stafford as he is absolutely lightning quick on uh, fresh rubber as well, so that was key. Uh, and I think he was just a little bit faster than teammate Sergio Perez, which in the end, you know, Perez did, did let him through, but for me, Verstappen was a, a little bit quicker anyway. Uh, so yeah, not his best performance, but he definitely made it exciting. Uh, and I think he showed why he's a world champion with, you know, staying composed, showing speed, and then getting the job done relatively easily in the end. Yeah, I think that's very true. He did stay composed in his driving style in a way that he's he's been very, very good at throughout this season, actually. And um, 
is a marked improvement compared to his sort of desperate moves that came sort of commonplace um, for the majority of the 2021 season. Um, I think it's very true to say about his um, stint lengths as well um, and the way he optimised those because he did a, a 20, I think his third stint on soft tyres, the undercut stint um, was phenomenal. That's one of the best stints of the season on tyre for me because he just took those tyres in such in extreme conditions with the heat um, to such a such a level and such pace and such length in that stint. That's that's the stint that run it won in the race because it made the three stop work, which meant that he was the preferred driver over over Checo Perez, who they were trying to make the two stop work. And yeah, admittedly at the time they didn't know whether the two stop or the three stop um, would work. Um, naturally, obviously Perez became a three stop just by the circumstances of the race, giving him a crack at final lap and just making it easier, just based on the pace Red Bull had, but. They split their strategies and it it worked really well. They split their strategies in the right way because of Verstappen's DRS problem, as you said. And I think it was very good. I think, yeah, it can be a bit kind of like, I completely get his frustration at the reliability. Like, oh, you can't even get DRS to work because there's been so much unreliability with Rebel this whole season at pretty much every race there's been an issue, um, if you include AlphaTauri as well, and which you should for the power units. Um, but it is a bit rich coming just after you've spun. So if, you, if, you, if you're a mechanic sat in the garage, you're probably going to be a bit like, come on, mate. Um, we're not shouting at you. But anyway, um, I think he's, 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 he's earned that a bit from the rest of the drive. Mm, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think every driver runs on the team radar, don't they? When things are not going the way. So, you know, and I think, mean, you know, those high-pressure situations... Uh, yeah, I didn't think much of it. Uh, I think it's just for Stafford being Stafford and for me, it's about the way he drove when he drove, you know, fantastically. So, uh, yeah, you know, people can complain about him moaning on the radio, but you know, you tell me a driver who doesn't moan exactly, so, yeah. yeah, exactly. And even though he did go around the houses in the first half of the race, he won it. So, is I mean, when, when was the last time a driver like went off in the gravel? won a race. I mean, I'm thinking Hamilton 2010 Belgian Grand Prix is last one I can think of. Uh, I can't think of many others. Less Button yeah. 20 like Canada. Was that way? He didn't go off. He just hit everyone and, and drive through pedals. Drive through well. pedals. I mean, he was last. So, yeah, so I that mean, as well. Yeah, I think, I think... I can't think of any. Oh, there were definitely something. Some, but I can't really remember. I mean, if I had more time to think, I would come up with something, but I'm not going to waste the, the, this podcast. I'm not going to make everyone sit in silence while I try and think of a, a race from, like, I don't know, 2016. Let us know if you can think of something more recent. <laughs> yes, look at that. Content. Um, something will come to us tomorrow morning and be like, oh, now we look like idiots. But anyway. Um, but yeah, moving on from Max to Charles Leclerc, who I think it's safe to say had that race nailed because his pace was brilliant. It was phenomenal. His first stint on soft tires, even without, um, before, even before Verstappen spun away, whenever that was sort of 10 laps in, he, he had pulled away and he had it covered. I think he could have done more if he needed to. He made those tires last so long in that first stint while it was all kicking off behind him. And he was able to just keep the lead and, you know, really shame, a real shame for him because that was, that was probably the, the first race this year that Ferrari have needed to win 
because they've obviously lost both championship leads. Yeah, it's the worst way to to lose a race when you've got the fastest car, which I think Ferrari had on Sunday. When you've got a big ten second lead, which is what Leclerc had, it, it's just for you know for for the suspected turbo or MGUH. Uh, problem to occur it is just the worst way to lose. So you know it's definitely well, it's not unlucky because teams should have you know this thing camping shouldn't be happening, but it's just gutting for him because he could have had a twenty-five point lead at least, and then said he's six points behind. So it's a massive swing. You know, think about the swings that we saw last year in twenty twenty-one with Hamilton and, and Verstappen. You know, these these swings they will come back to bite you and. And the momentum now is well and truly with Verstappen and Red Bull uh, because Ferrari have missed this chance to kind of hit back uh, because they did have the fastest car and they didn't win. So, yeah, tricky one. But I do think Leclerc, after the race, he was very, again, like Verstappen, very composed, cool, calm and collected. He didn't make too much of a fuss about it. I think he understands that these kind of things happen. That's good to see. Uh, yeah, and I think, he, you know, he'll, he'll definitely bounce back and stuff like that. It's just whether... This is the start of a few niggles for Ferrari, or is it a one-off problem, perhaps? Yeah, they at least have the luxury of it potentially being a one-off problem, which Red Bull don't. Um, but do you think this is... Um, there's sort of elements of the season we've already discussed about sort of the, the inherent differences between the Red Bull and Ferrari car. Do you think this will hold Ferrari back in terms of the way they're going to then develop and go ahead with the course of the season? Possibly. Possibly, definitely in terms of the engine, because you can still make reliability upgrades. Uh, but I mean, look, this is this is only the second race Leclerc has used this engine as well. So if he had, if he doesn't have to change parts, was was Verstappen? Uh, he's still on his first engine, isn't he? So hmm. uh, will it change things? Probably not, because they'll be still bringing floor and aerodynamic upgrades and that kind of thing. Uh, so I don't think it'll change the plan in terms of that because I think the upgrades they did bring worked. It's just they had this other power unit problem which they didn't see coming. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think it'll change the development plans too much. I've got another hard question to throw at you. Um, I'm linking this to something we probably should talk about further down the line, but while we're on Ferrari, Carlos Sainz's pace, even after he had spun and had way after that when he was on a good, was on the sort of correct strategy and so on later on, was abysmal. And the fact that he was caught by Hamilton proved that, and he only got fourth because of Merck issues, which we'll get onto later. We'll talk about Mercedes, obviously. Um, but do you think, do you think that's just out of pure science to Leclerc golf, or do you think that's a late, a latter testament that maybe is showing Ferrari to be in a bit of a weird position as well? I think Ferrari had the fastest car. I'm not sure why Sainz was so slow. I don't know if he had damage because he went through the gravel. or Stappen didn't seem to have damage when he went through the gravel. But I think Sainz just had a poor weekend. I mean, uh, he had two runs in Q3 when Stappen and Leclerc only had one because of the various issues and Sainz was still third. Uh, and then he had his bad getaway and then he just had no pace at all. So for me, I think it's just Sainz having a poor weekend and Leclerc I think if Leclerc was in the race, he would have you know, blitzed it. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't think Ferrari should be too concerned about not having pace, but I think Carlos Sainz should be worried that he's not at one with the car and he's not confident, which, you know, going into Monaco as well, that could be a massive problem for him. So, yeah, for me, I think it's just at the moment, it seems to be, I don't know, three or four attempts between Sainz and Leclerc. 
I think that I think that's the worry. I think that is a worry from both sides, but it should, and it definitely is actually. We can't. It's not a should be worry. That definitely is a worry from Ferrari and from Science. So it'd be. Uh, it's. I don't think it's exposing him this year. I think it's like you say. He's uncomfortable. He's not got the con the continuity with it. He's own. He, he definitely he missed out on a month of race distances, which also helped didn't didn't help him. And he's been very open about the fact that he's been not enjoying driving these these porpoising stiff cars that when you hit a curb you feel it in your back. So, which I can you know makes complete sense. The Ferrari still porpoises quite aggressively, even through sort of corners and stuff. So. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see how that develops with Carlos Sainz and how that sort of relationship with the team develops because it just shows the styles, how much the driving style and you know how the tiny margins within the car it makes a massive difference. You know, we've seen with Ricardo, which we've talked about a lot over the last eighteen months yeah. or so, and now Sainz could be in a similar similar position. Yet Sainz was seen as many, not by me, uh, many by like a top five driver last year or top four driver. Yeah, uh, but now. You know, he's not looking too great. And getting that confidence back is really tricky in, in F4, which is why people like uh, Lewis Hamilton, for example, for him to always get back on track, you know, when he's struggling or had a bad weekend, he always comes back. Uh, so that is the difference, you know, between the good and the great kind of thing. Uh, and sides at the moment, he seems to be struggling with that. Yeah, I completely agree. I think he's having a um, the opposite of a purple patch. Um, yeah. which, you know, seems to be ongoing, which is a bit, I thought, I thought he, I thought this one would be the one he, it wasn't ongoing anyway. Um, but anyway, um, moving on from science to back to the podium to, to George Russell, who, uh, I think was probably one of the best drivers out there that on, on Sunday, I think that was a really, really, really accomplished drive and exactly why he's got that Merck seat because he didn't roll over. Yeah, he didn't have the pace and yeah, it was it was really difficult for him to be there and he had to kind of just play the game, and which is fine. But, you know, he, he didn't look out of place leading that race. Yeah, he's driving so, so well. He's had a fantastic start to the season, still kept all that top five record. And in some ways, with him only being, what, 34 points off the championship lead, I think, he's still in the title race. If Mercedes can get their act together, I don't think they showed enough in Spain that it can be, but with his consistency in the way he just keeps maximising everything, a bit like the way Fernando Alonso did in 2012 when he nearly won the title. He can just do something like that. That will be absolutely outstanding. And we talked before the start of the season how when a driver joins a team, we know they can be a future world champion if they hit the ground running, hit the ground running and they're doing great immediately. And that's exactly what Russell has done. And yes, he's had a bit of luck with uh, a couple of safety cars and stuff like that in Miami and Australia, but mm. like that the weekend, yes, Halton had his incident, but Russell was still fantastic. And for him to get his elbows out against Verstappen, we've not seen them fight too much, showing his race craft there. So that's just another skill that he has in his locker so he's doing he's just doing all of the right things uh and, and you know I, I can't it looks like he can probably continue this form for well perhaps for the rest rest of, of the season i don't see any reason why not he's just driving you know fantastically so 
if he can keep that up, then he could be the driver of the season. Oh, yeah. I mean, in 2017 and 2018, I seem to remember Max Verstappen saying in an interview somewhere, um, oh, you can't call an overtake on Bottas the best overtake in the season. And I think just in this race alone, you can consider George Russell as a genuine competitor in the way that I think um, a lot of drivers would have raced against Bottas and thought, oh, I've got this in the bag. I think they were worried to be having to overtake George Russell if the time comes based on based on his performance in this race. Um, I was really impressed with it. And I, I was, I, dear, the dear viewer or listener, I was watching this race with Nigel and he turned to me and said, yeah, unfortunately, he was very loud. Um, he turned to me and said, if he wins this, it'll be with the greatest win I've ever seen. Um, and that was on a, that was, I don't know, he'd been leading for what, about eight laps or so at that point, I'd say, um, holding yeah. off Verstappen. And it did yeah. genuinely feel like the race win was on the cards because the strategies were lining up. You had no idea what was going to play out. Everything was on the fly strategically. There was no plan. And, you know, I think, I think both of us thought he could win that race. Yeah. Um, At that well, point in that race. When he got in the lead, yeah, after Leclerc with the yeah. time, yeah, I did think if he can sort of defend for the next 35 laps, then yeah, but yeah, it was always going to be, I mean, with, it's the two Red Bull, two Red Bulls versus one Murphy yeah. thing, isn't it? That's what caught him out. And there's absolutely nothing he could do about it. He couldn't cover both of Perez and Verstappen off. That's why the Red Bull strategy team, you know, to pull Verstappen in and then free up Perez to attack. Russell, which he did, and over mm. talking that was perfect. But yeah, for Russell to even be in that position to have a chance of winning that after what 30 laps, that is a fantastic moment. And he's definitely going to get many more chances to win this year. And I think, uh, and I'm quite sure that he's going to take take them too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and in comparison to George Russell, um, we had. Not, you know, he had also had a very good drive from Lewis Hamilton. Like, it's not really... But the comparison is that they were both very good. Um, and, yeah, George had the handle in qualifying, but then Lewis obviously looked to be able to be there in the race because of the Merck pace. But then had a whole different storyline, which involved, essentially, a last to question mark challenge. Um, second last, because Magnussen was behind him. But um, after their incident on lap one, which that was, was a, a racing incident. Yes, it was a racing incident. That's yeah. um, that's actually yeah. fact. You're not allowed to have an opinion on that one. Um, <laughs> um, it's just the most obvious sort of change direction of two drivers in sort of the most minute way, causing a very irritating impact that was surprisingly a puncture, to be honest, I thought. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, Lewis then... Worked his way up through the field. He had, had a moment where his head dropped, but he once once he got it down, got that motivation that he could get the point. Um, he worked at it, worked at it, worked at it, and the pace just kept coming for him. And he, at points, he was the fastest on track. Admittedly, it was a very weird strategic race, but to be the fastest on track, particularly when he was sort of scything through the midfield rather than um, just out the back of the of the um, of the the entire field, was was really actually. Impressive, even for Lewis Hamilton, I thought. Yeah, absolutely outstanding drive, I thought, to come back like that. He effectively did a two-stop strategy after he changed his... Uh, after mm. he sorted out his puncture from, from lap one. So he effectively did a two-stop strategy over six, 66 laps, which 
on that track when he coming through the field in dirty air most of, most of the time. I think that was fantastic the way he kept the mm. tires up, uh, kept the tires alive. Sorry, uh, just as he's done for so many years now. Uh, yeah, probably his best performance of the year so far. I think to do that comeback because he was very unfortunate that he had that puncher. Uh, it, it, it wasn't his fault. So. Uh, he basically uh, undercut and overcut three quarters of the grid just by yeah. just driving so well. And he just magically appeared. Like we didn't see yeah. many actual overtakes. Yeah. It's just his tire management to yeah. jump everyone while, while they were pitching was just outstanding. And you've got to give a lot of faith to a lot of credit to the Merck strategy team for just being able to see that because I don't I think that was the, one of the hardest races to see strategy and to see an end goal in a long time. And for the Merck strategists to have to do that, not just with sort of the four cars who are sort of battling around in pace, maybe the two ahead, two behind, but with probably really with at least sort of 15 cars to sort of see that in such a in such a lengthy way was, I think, is very impressive. The more you look back in hindsight, the more impressive it is even at the time. Yeah. I mean, science after he spun at turn four, came, I think he emerged in 11th and Helton was still pretty much at the back, a minute behind, and then Helton ended up, what, only 40-odd seconds behind at the flag. Yes, you can take off 10 seconds because Leclerc went off and stuff like that. Uh, but to beat that well, he didn't beat science because they're cool, but he... He, he, he beat science. Beat science. On, yeah. on, on sort of in the race, he beat science, but in the the car race, yeah. he didn't beat science. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think to, to effectively beat science was yeah. just amazing. I don't think anyone would have thought uh, Mercedes could beat a Ferrari from being nine places behind after flat twelve or, or whatever. So yeah, yeah, it was fantastic drive. I think um the point that kind of stood out for me was when science was closing on Bottas, who had been running a very good race as well as he's just been he's he's the there seems to be usually um a midfield driver who seems to be just a bit detached, sort of the the P7 person, and that seems to be Valtteri Bottas this year, and that's very impressive. Um, but anyway, when science was closing on him, and you're kind of thinking, oh yeah, Hamilton's probably also going to close on Bottas. But at, in the time it took for science to close on Bottas, Hamilton had closed on science, and it's like, whoa, where's that come from? That was an insane stint that didn't make any sense to me, and I was very impressed with it. And not, yeah, we, we lauded Verstappen's tyre management and random randomly very quick stints that he just was able to, to pull out when it was necessary at the start of this podcast. It feels like Lewis Hamilton was the other driver who had the kind of opportunity to show that. And he did that. So yeah. impressive stuff. Um, it would have been, it would have been lovely to have seen him at the front of the race, but I, 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 I don't know where he would have ended up. I think it would have been relatively similar to George, but just based on that pace, I don't think there was any reason for him to be ahead or behind George significantly on track. Um, it just probably would have made the 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 rebel win that bit harder because yeah. because it's another Merc in the way. Um, as you yeah, and he was also on the medium tire as well, so it was a shame that we kind of lost that aspect of. Oh, of course, yes. Doing like a, I don't know a twenty-five, thirty lap stint or something, and then being dead fast at the end instead or something, or something like that. So it's a shame we lost that aspect as well. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, anyone who thought Lewis Hamilton is going to be down or or rubbish for the rest of the season should think again. <laughs> so where do we think Merck are for the rest of the season based on that? I mean, you said earlier that you think maybe there's a little bit still left to be desired just on the terms of pace, but 
on sort of sort of the raw pace, do you think they're still about what half a second off? Would you say? If a quality, yeah, I think so. I think about half a second is fair. I think what they have now is they've sorted the porpoise in enough, and they've kind of got a baseline. Whereas yeah. Red Bull and Ferrari have had a, this baseline for four, four or five races, so now they can really uh, kind of fine tune things with setup tires, bring more upgrades. Of course, do you think so they'll? Really have- think- do you think they'll have some upgrades that they would have pre-planned pre-season for sort of Saudi and um, Australia, maybe that um, they can now put on the car that they wouldn't have had that probably would work? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think you know around Canada or Baku, we we could see some big upgrades from Mercedes, and that could bring them right back into play. I think Monaco will be a slight struggle for them, but. I think they'll definitely win races. And I think they've just about, just about shown enough for Russell yeah. to still be kind of in the title race. But the shortest is going to be very difficult. I think for Hamilton as well, he would have to go on to some kind of steamroll uh, in the second half of the season. But I think Russell's consistency, the way both of them are driving, and I think the car is in a good enough place to kind of just hang in there and if they can get the development right, because I think development is still going to be absolutely huge uh, in, the, in the coming races, I think they're still just about in it. I, I, I completely agree with that. I do think, I think, yeah, Russell's gap is is actually pretty, pretty it's good. It's not a lot. It's not a lot. Yeah. It's really quite, quite handy. And, you know, I think, there's no reason to suggest that um, instance won't strike and that uh, reliability won't strike, particularly on the Red Bull side. Um, they've lost definite. Um, well, both Red Bull and Ferrari have lost wins now because of reliability. I think you, you could really easily say close to wins because, like, I think we don't know what Max would have done from a safety car restart in Bahrain. Um, so. That's going to be really interesting to see how Merck can sort of wiggle their way into this. It could it could be make or break these next few races, and you know that's really interesting to see. Um, yeah, if, if Russell could have a 2012 a 2012 Alonso esque yeah. season, he can win the championship. Oh I'm yeah, quite sure. if, he, no if doubt. he can do replicate that, which is a massive ask, by the way, but if he can do it, he can, he can win this title. Yeah, that's. It's brilliant. It's really exciting now. Like, I think I'm really happy Merck are back in the fight just because it, I think we all, you can all see easily just the, the spin it put on the sort of strategic battle in that, in that race with, with just extra elements to it in a way that you didn't really expect to see. And I think that's going to be the storyline of Monaco. I think that's going to be definitely the storyline of Baku after that because Baku's so weird. Um, and then we've got some races that really we sh- we kind of feel like everyone based on this race, everyone should be pretty similar, I think you could say. Um, yeah, I think so, yeah. so I'm really looking forward to the rest of Formula 1 in 2022. Um, so now we've got, um, so that's the sort of the, the top six done, which we haven't really been able to say since 2019, and we didn't have a podcast then, so we haven't been able to say. Um, actually, I don't know. I think we assumed Ferrari would be up there when we did our preview episode 
in COVID 2020 times. Um, yeah, no, we did. <laughs> um, which is, I think, a fair enough thing to assume. But anyway, um, moving back to the midfield, um, and there are some pretty stunning drives in the midfield. There are also some pretty kind of unstunning stuff as well, in my opinion. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think, shout out Fernando Alonso, um, the P20 to P9, um, with with what he had underneath him in terms of a car that could only qualify 17th, admittedly with without a second run in Q1, a final run, I should say. Um, it was a really good pace to get up there. I think the Alpine race pace is really phenomenal. And I think they were just basically doing a carbon copy of the Merck strategy, which was just kind of just overcut and undercut as many people as possible. And it worked. It was very strange in a way because on Saturday after qualifying, Alpine, the Alpine garage and atmosphere must have been absolutely gutted. And with Luca de Mayo and all the big bosses there, it must have been a bit kind of tense as well because to get Alonso on home soil to be knocked out of Q1 is nearly embarrassing almost because uh, it shouldn't have happened. He, yeah, he had the pace to get through and they made errors with where he came out on his outlap and that kind of thing and what, what the, the stuff he was told. So it, it should have happened, but he recovered well to get nine. Uh, I think, like you said, Freddie, Alpine's race pace, almost from nowhere, because I didn't really expect it, was probably fourth best car on Sunday, and that was enough for Alonso to get nine to knock on to finish in, uh, in seventh. So, so yeah, they should be pleased that they, act, that they, do, act, that they do have the pace, because... Uh, tire management uh, or tire wear has been a big problem for them in the first four or five races, but it seems like they've kind of sorted that out in Spain because that's a very high abrasive track and uh, they had some of, some of the best tire wear from the whole field. So that's a massive plus. Uh, they just got to make sure that these operational errors don't uh, kick in. Yeah, it was a similar story, actually, that kind of went a bit unnoticed by Sebastian Vettel in a slightly worse car, I think, in the Aston Martin. He was 11th and was flirting with the points for quite a lot of the race as well. And he started like 16th or 17th or something like that. He started way back as well. So there were there was a similar drive there that went that went pretty well. So, I mean, it's what you expect when it comes to sort of controlling tyres and weird conditions from these guys, but they did a very good job. Um, another driver who did a very good job in probably what I think he's going to remember as the worst Grand Prix he's ever had to feel in, which was, was Lando Norris, who he, he's had um kind of really sort of flaring up hay fever all weekend. And in the, in the heat that was 37 degrees in Spain in a very sort of springy part of the world that it's just boiling. He also had tonsillitis and he was sick apparently on the grid just before he got in the car, um, which I think the only other time that's ever happened was in the film Rush. Um, um, and yeah, he he drove a really good race. He was he, he was yeah, up there fighting with Ocon and for seventh place for pretty much the whole thing. So really good job. He was much faster than Daniel Ricciardo as well for for Ricciardo. And I mean, we have to give credit to Norris, of course, but for, for Ricardo to be on average about half a second slower in the race and uh, against an ill Norris, let's say, if not a bit more, uh, is really not good. Uh, Ricardo 
been not great for the last 15 months, but this was one of his worst performances, I think. Uh, Norris wasn't at his best yet, still finished quite a bit ahead. So, uh, yeah, just, I think it's very brave from Norris to kind of race because he wasn't there for the national anthems, I don't think. So they were probably considering if he should even race at all or, or, or if he should pull out. But he did race. Uh, adrenaline helped, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure. And yeah, showed a bit of character, personality to persevere with it uh, in a hot race like that. And to finish in the points is a fantastic achievement. So, yeah, uh, hope, hope he gets better soon because it's, it, it, it doesn't sound too good. But to drive like that, absolutely fantastic. Oh, yeah. And at the end of the day, it wasn't as bad as Mark Webber and Fuji in 2007. Um, if you if, if you know, you know, if you don't know, you probably have guessed. Um, but yeah, Nigel, you want to move on to a team that's, what's the word, peaky? Has. Well, I, I said this after Miami as well. They cannot get the strategy right. I don't know what it is, but on Sunday, Mick Schumacher, yeah, I think he drilled all right as well, to be fair. I, I, I don't think he did too He kept bad. getting overtaken, this, though. That's because of the strategy he was given. Okay. So he pitted on the same lap as Ricardo, like he was behind Ricardo. So they pitted on the same lap, so then he had to follow him. He eventually overtook him because Ricardo was driving so slowly. <laughs> but then they decided to do a two stop, uh, making Three. the second and final stop on lap 30. On the, so oh. he went from lap 30 all the way to the end on mediums. So it was just a sitting duck against the likes of, I think, Gasly, Alonso, and, 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 and Vettel. And yeah, he couldn't do anything because trying to do 36 laps on, on medium tyres in a hot on a hot race like that is very tricky. And especially for you know Schumacher, it's it, it's only his second year in the Haas tyre where I'm not too sure about. But I don't know why they committed him to that strategy strategy because I think the Haas had the pace to get points. And with Magnussen, there is unfortunate silly incident as well. He couldn't show anything, but. They've got to get the strategy right. It's so important when the margins are so close in the midfield. Uh, it just seemed a bit clueless almost. And it's, it's happened too many times with, 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 with Haas. Uh, and yeah, it just happened again. Yeah, they, they, they're one of the few teams who haven't really upgraded their car, yet qualified very well. So they understand the pace in the car, but it's utilising that pace in a consistent way across a race that's, let them down and we've been there before with Haas 2018 2019 so um yeah. Gunter even admitted in the kind of press release thing they, they, they put out on Sunday night uh, that the strategy yeah. wasn't the best let's say and that they had to look back and see what went wrong so you know, when someone says that in the press release you kind of know that you, that someone made a yeah. mistake there. so yeah and a mix under pressure at the moment and as well because his pace is has rightly raised eyebrows and questions. Um, I don't think he's been too bad in the last two races. The last two races, I think he's been all right. I, I, I think really he was do. very good in Miami. I think he, he was. I mean, he could have been. I think he could have been. I think he could have been better in in Spain. To be fair, um, but I think, but I think Haas need to be giving him the opportunities on their side as well. Yeah. And I think it's much more on Haas for me. Yeah. In, in Miami, they they did that and. For the majority of the race, he he successfully paid paid them back. So um, it'll be interesting to see where that goes because 
you know, they they historically can do it. So yeah. let's hope they learn from this because, you know, there has been one of the crazy stories of the start of the season. Let's hope they can continue to be a crazy story of the second half of the season. Another debate that sort of arose in that Grand Prix that's, oh yeah, I think I think and I think Nigel will think this as well. Maybe being blown a bit out of proportion is um the Red Bull team orders kind of I don't know debate. It's not a debate. The Red Bull team orders that happened and um what basically happened was Sergio Perez was a was asked to move aside twice for Max Verstappen and. Max Verstappen wasn't moved aside for Sergio Perez when Perez was in a better position. And arguably Perez, when he was leading the Grand Prix this early in the championship, shouldn't have been moved aside, depending on what people think. But um, he would have been passed by Verstappen anyway. And Red Bull have been there, 2013 Malaysia, where Red Mist descends on drivers in second place. And that caused arguably the worst PR for them in a long time. So before uh, probably 2021, it was still probably the biggest crisis for that team. So I think that those scars ring true for Red Bull. But Nigel, this isn't a loaded build-up to a question. Um, what, what do you make of all of that? Well, I think it's more stupid if they didn't do the team orders uh, at the end because Rousseff was on fresher tyres He's going to be in the championship lead. He was a faster driver. Why would he not do it? I think it's stupid from a team if you don't do it, personally. Uh, so that's what I make of it. The first time, yeah, you could say Perez should have been given kind of more time. But again, Verstappen caught up very quickly and Perez wasn't able to uh, do much about Russell. And then in terms of Perez not being allowed through, well, it wasn't exactly on the back of Verstappen like Verstappen was and Perez, he was, he was over a second behind. He wasn't even within DRS range. So, and then Red Bull made the clever move anyway to uh, pit Verstappen and that freed Perez up anyway. And then uh, he overtook Russell. So, I don't know. Perez thinks he could have won if he did the free stop strategy. But at the time, it wasn't very clear which strategy was best. Uh, I just think Verstappen was a little bit faster uh, than Perez. So, I think the right person won kind of thing. Uh, but I, equally, yeah, you, 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 you have to praise Paris for uh, playing the team game and moving over on two different occasions because not, well, some drivers would do it, some wouldn't. Uh, but for Paris to do it as soon as the team asked, uh, yeah, I think that deserves a, quite a lot of praise. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I don't think there's too much of a debate for me. I think in that situation, Red Bull did the right thing. Yeah, I think Red Bull did the right thing throughout in terms of the decisions. They were the correct decisions. I think from one side of it, I'd have liked to have just seen a fight. Um, yeah. I think it would have been quite fun. I do think the Malaysia 2013 that I mentioned was the best racing of 2013 um, between the Red Bull teammates. And I think that would have been quite cool to see if Perez, I mean, yeah, Verstappen has such a pace advantage, but if Perez could have, been a bit canny and maybe I don't know done any some DRS little tricks and stuff. Maybe it would have been a bit of fun, but I don't think it. Yeah, well, Verstappen did have DRS, did he? So it would have exactly. been very Yeah, fun. it probably would have been very interesting. Um, so I was a bit like, oh, I wanted to see that, but I really wouldn't have made that decision myself um, if I were that team. 
I mean, from Red Bull's point of view, to put with no brain. Out, they had to inflict the most damage possible, and they did that with a one-two, just like they did in, in Imola when mm. had his mistake in sights. Yeah, uh, was out of the race. They did the most damage possible by getting a one-two. So, you know, capitalising on mistakes from Ferrari, capitalising yeah. on mistakes from anyone. That's what Red Bull have been so good at, not just this year, but I'd say the last you know six or seven years since the, the turbo hybrid era started, when Mercedes kind of halted. In 2014, it was always Daniel Ricciardo who was there oh, okay. in 2016 as, as, as well. So, with one driver, uh, they have been. I think, I think you can't, I don't know if you can make that argument when you've got the Albon and Gasly scenarios in, in yeah. clear history, recent history. Um, but I think you, yeah, I think you're right to say that in terms of Red Bull are the peace picker uppers of Formula One in the past few years. That is very true. I think also to your point that Perez saying that he thinks he could have won if he'd been on the three stop. At the time, you wouldn't have known, and that's fine because, like we, we've said a few times, that the strategy was so sort of difficult to call in this race that it was the right thing to do to keep Perez on a um, on the strategy that they are planning with a longer strategy because he wasn't compromised with the DRS. It was better to yeah. to put Verstappen in a tire offset position because that was more required for Verstappen to be racier than Perez. So, yeah. circumstance of Verstappen's DRS failures were aiding his strategy being in, yeah. in that strategy. So, yeah, I think... Well, he was also faster. Yes, <laughs> he was faster. Um, but, and yeah, I think we're right to praise everything about Red Bull in that scenario. I think yeah. I think maybe they could have given Perez one more go in the first instance against Russell and Verstappen just close, because that was pretty much a straightaway go out of the way, whereas um, they just, I don't know, I don't know. I, that's, that's the only thing I would say, but I mean, it worked out, so it's fine. <laughs> Some people just like to have a dig at Red Bull, don't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, which again, is arguably fair enough. Um, yeah, yeah, that's what fans are for. <laughs> yes, these days. Um, but also what fans are for is making an environment, getting a good experience, and for playing the Formula 1 too. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and unfortunately, the, the fan experience at the Spanish Grand Prix wasn't great from what we've heard. Obviously, we weren't there. We were in sunny Sheffield. Um, was there about a month ago. <laughs> yeah, he was there. Was it was raining. Two years ago. Um, but yeah, apparently it was just horrific for the number of fans there. It's probably the busiest weekend Spain has had at um, Catalonia for Formula One in a long time. But I think they still do numbers for MotoGP there. So I'm not so... I'm, a bit shocked that they, like, they know how to run an event at that racetrack. Yeah. Yet, apparently they ran out of water at midday um, and then you couldn't take the water you had into grandstands in a 37-degree outdoor event. That's not on. Um, and then if, you caught, if you've got like two people just for some reason checking tickets on the way out, um, which, and I, I know this because I know Formula 1 tickets aren't three-day tickets. You get you get a Saturday and Sunday and a Friday ticket entry. So that's unnecessary unless it's like two in the afternoon, unless someone asks specifically, if you're walking out, you're walking out because the Formula 2 is finished. But anyway, um, I think, yeah, Formula 1 have interestingly issued a statement saying we expect the promoters to do better. Very quickly, they issued that statement. Um, so it'll be interesting to see to see that because... 
fan experience is definitely something they're throwing at the forefront. I think particularly with the with the French Grand Prix that was very poor a few years ago in terms of fan experience with people missing sessions because of just queues. Um, I think, yeah, I, I just I, basically the reason I'm bringing this up is because yes, it's an awful experience, but also I want to sort of commend Formula One for being so quick to damning it. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, I think F1 have done the right thing. Uh, it's now up to the track organisers and the event organisers uh, to sort it out for the next year to ensure that it doesn't happen again. Because it is a little strange that it hasn't been this bad in the past, and now uh, it's suddenly yeah. come back maybe because uh, you know it's coming back to almost fully normal now and that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, the fans can't be treated as they were. I mean, it must have been a horrible experience to be paying hundreds of euros and, and, and pounds to not have water and sit in baking hot sun. Mm. Yes, you get to watch F1, but I would certainly wouldn't like that. I don't think it'd be worth. I'd, 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 I'd want something back. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's got to be sorted out for next year. And if it isn't, and if this happens again, then I mean, F1 should consider, you know, about having about having a Spanish Grand Prix at the circuit in the castle near Barcelona because fans cannot be treated like this. Yeah, and I think that would genuinely be considered. Um, uh, I, I think it's, yeah, like you say, they can't be treated like this. Um, but going from fan experience, um, somewhere where you get to definitely get a expensive experience as a fan is Monaco. And another place you've been to. <laughs> another place I've been to. Um, what took us by surprise is that this is a double header, and actually, there's a it's race week this week, and there's a, a race this weekend, and it's the Monaco Grand Prix. I thought it was like ages away, but anyway. So now we're going to do a, a few minutes on Monaco. Um, but yeah, because we don't have time to do a proper episode. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, which is fair enough because we are third year uni students. But anyway, um, Monaco, Monaco, baby, yeah. What to say about Monaco, Nigel? How do you think 2022 Formula One will? settle into Monaco, into the Principality? Well, I think it'll be like previous years at Monaco. I think yeah. there's always a debate about, well, oh, should it be on the calendar, should it not? And I remember all three of us, me, Adam, and you, Freddie, agreed last year that it should be on the calendar because of qualifying, because it's all about that one or two laps in Q3, getting close to the barriers, not making a mistake like Charles Leclerc did last year. Yeah. Uh, putting it all on the line. But a Sunday, yes, the race can be a bit boring. But there's still like that strategic years. aspect. There's still that strategic aspect of can you do an overcut, an undercut? I mean, the overcut works really well sometimes. Yeah. Especially if the conditions are cool, which I'm not sure about this weekend. I presume it's going to be quite warm. But there's a thunderstorm. Uh, there's a thunderstorm. So then you got rain <laughs> as well. So it's just different. It's it's just different. I mean, not every race can be exciting. And yes, there haven't been too many. Exciting Monaco Grand Prix, but there's definitely there's not been, been a lot of non-exciting Monaco Grand Prix. Yeah, I think I'm keen to been... point out a few times. I think I said this last year when when we spoke about this that you just brought up. But Monaco 2019, really interesting race. Monaco yeah, 2018. Um, 2018, really interesting race. 2017, a bit dull. 2016, one of the classics of that season. 2015, yeah. really interesting race. 2014. Um, quite good for just dual Bianchi to be honest it was a weird race and then you go back at 2011 Monaco Grand Prix one of my favourite Formula 1 races and 
that's like 40 years after the cars have outgrown that circuit. So I, I, I think really in recent history, the proportion of good races that are really enjoyable to watch and bad races at Monaco is arguably better than quite a few other tracks. I think it's better than Spa, which is mad. Yeah, yeah. I think Monaco, it, it has these moments that it produces, you know, with 92 Senna versus Mansell. That was um, actually overrated. Well, maybe, yeah, but it's still like a, a famous You're moment. Right. You're right. Even, even 2015, the moment with Hamilton's pit stop, uh, yeah. and then couldn't get a better one than Rosberg, and ended up winning. So I think there's lots of moments at Monaco. You might not get great racing, but you'll definitely get some kind of drama on the Saturday or Sunday, or, or, or both perhaps. Uh, and oh, qualifying yeah. there, it's probably the best qualifying of the year, along with maybe Suzuka or Singapore. Uh, it's just fantastic seeing the cars you know, gliding through the walls and drivers that you know is a proper driver's track and the way they have to build up into it through practice on Friday and Saturday it, it's, it's just fantastic so I think it should stay on, on the calendar and I think this weekend considering what we've just seen in Spain we're going to get a bit more drama and if we do get Verstappen and Leclerc going at it on Sunday over 17 eight laps bring it on yeah i completely agree bring it on do you have any any idea of what form's going to be like in monaco on paper ferrari should be better because the slow speed corners the mechanical grip of the ferrari <coughs> excuse me they, they, they should be should be better than uh red bull but equally verstappen on street circuits he always seems to be a little bit more ahead of his teammates. They, they, some, some people call Verstappen a street fighter because he's so good on street tracks. So if he can, if he can be second, if he can, if he can line up second ahead of sides, that's presumably where gets pulled, which I, I think he will, then the Red Bull race pace might be able to turn things around. Uh, and Mercedes, it probably won't be as close, uh, but I think they'll be there. They'll, they'll have enough pace to capitalise on any I think Mercedes will be fast enough to be a strategic quandary, but yeah. not so necessarily if a win. Yeah, that's what I think will be the case. Um, I do think the Merck is actually pretty good in, in the in some of the slow speeds at some tracks. It's been pretty good, um, but arguably a lot of their speed also is medium to high speed as well. So it's it's a bit of a hard. That's, that's what I think. I, I think yeah. that's the medium high speed Yeah, it's a, it's a hard one for them, but we don't know what the what they will be able to re-unlock from their car. But it's Monaco. I think. Yeah, I think I completely agree with you. The clever staff and science is kind of our go-to order for this kind of season. Yeah. But I think it's it's the most confident I've been of a prediction for a top three in a long time. Um. And I think I'm not even going to ask you. So um, I think, yeah, we're just going to have to say to Tar for now. See you guys again uh, for the Monaco Grand Prix review and where we might be eating humble pie or we might be saying told you so. Um, so keep safe, stay excellent, have a good one and enjoy yourselves. Goodbye, everybody. Have a good week. <laughs>